0: Hello everyone and welcome to another issue of Cane and Rinse. This is issue 454 on Celeste and joining me, Joshua Garrity, in this issue are Tony Atkins. Hello. Rich Davison. Hello. And Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. So... What is Celeste? Uh, Celeste is a 2D pixel art indie platformer in the same vein as Super Meat Boy, where you play as Madeline in her attempts to climb the mountain known as Celeste and face her inner self in the process. Um, So this is something that we, we will likely get into later in the issue um but i uh, debated with myself about whether or not i should say uh, the name of the developer for this title so maddie forson who is the kind of main lead uh, on on celeste um uh, had a change of gender identity post the release and development of this title um and the the company name um, uh, that uh, the developer went by uh, refers to Maddie's dead name. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar with that term, basically a dead name is a trans uh, trans person's past identity and it is a big, big no-no to refer to somebody in the trans community by their dead name. Um, but obviously this is a company, a corporate entity, Um, So I thought that maybe uh, might be a different scenario. So I consulted some people within the trans community to get their thoughts and feelings. And while they um, said that, yes, obviously it is very different from referring to an individual by their dead name, um, they advised me to err on the side of caution. And if it's not necessary to refer to it, then don't. So I will just say that... um, the game is Maddie's dead name uh, makes games. And um, the company was then shuttered. And um, a new developer has reformed uh, under the name Extremely OK Games. Um, this developer was also the publisher um, for the title. Um, director, designer, writer, um, also some programming duties is uh, Maddie Forson. Um, and uh, one of the lead programmers on the title was uh, Noel Berry. Uh, Noel Berry was also involved with the art, but the art team for this is quite uh, quite big for an indie title. So Amora Bettany, uh was involved in the high-res art that you see in the portraits of characters and some of the marketing material. Pietro Medeiros um, was involved in the pixel art and also the in game UI. Uh, Gabby Dorenzo um, was involved with the 3D render of the mountain that you see in the menus of the game. And Sven Bergstrom uh, was involved in the lighting of that 3D render of the mountain. And uh, lastly, the composer was Lena Rain. Um, so this game was released on PC, Switch, PS4, and Xbox One. In January of 2018 and then was later released on Stadia in July of 2020. Um, It's fair to say that um, it was critically well received at the time uh, with an uh, open critic of 92%. Uh, Me personally I remember seeing the 10 out of 10 from IGN as one of the first reviews that came out and like that was one of the the reviews that made me go, oh okay, right, we need to. I really need to pick this game up. Um, and uh, the users uh, tend to reflect the positive uh, feelings of the critics with an average of eight point seven out of ten on IMDb. Uh, the game did very very well commercially, um, according to Gamasutra it sold over 500,000 units as of de- uh, as of December 2018 uh, and then in a later interview with IGN in September of 2019 uh, Maddie said I don't have an exact up to date number but I know we're coming up to a million copies soon which is unbelievable to us um so it's sold very well, and given that we're, we're recording this in 2021, I think it's fair to say it's probably blown well past a million, a million units by now. Um, so one of the things about this game's development is that initially it started out life as a little Pico8. Uh, Pico8 is like an emulated console uh, for PCs, um a little pico8 experiment between Maddie and noel um uh, c- and which was originally called celeste but has uh, since been renamed celeste classic um and i just want to read this uh, forum post from no more spiros um talking about um that title um celeste is one of my favorite games for the pico8 Um, No level takes more than 30 seconds to beat. You're rewarded for immediate movement and learning on the fly rather than looking through a set of binoculars, memorizing what needs to be done and repeating the same series of inputs over and over again, like you're memorizing a combo in a fighting game. It doesn't overstay its welcome, which at the same time encourages replayability for those looking to beat their old times. The best thing about Pico-8 Celeste, though, is that you can't grab onto the walls. I understand why it's in the modern version to allow for a bit of breathing room, but playing without wall grabs can make the flow of the game feel more focused. If the habit stays after playing the older title in chapter three, it can turn a slow series of time jumps into a collection of madcap dashes from one room to another. I realize I'm in the minority on this one, but for me, Pico8 Celeste promotes a fast reactive playstyle while its younger sibling is more about refinement, almost like learning an instrument. I prefer the former to the latter, though I also realize that the plot aesthetic elements are more important than the gameplay for some in terms of which Celeste is Sir Be- <laughs> Which Celeste is Sir Best. That's one of those things that works better <laughs> in text than <laughs> said out loud. Um, I'm thankful both versions are included so that all players can have something they'll be able to enjoy. Now, if only we had a follow-up to Maddie Forson's other magnum opus, Run Man: Race Around the World. So uh, we're kind of talking about the development of the game now. So the Pico Eight uh, version came out and they released it for free online. Um, and it was really well received, and there was a desire from Maddie and and Noel to flesh this out. Uh, it started out as a two month project, turned into a much larger two year project. Um, uh, that was um, you know brought in a lot of their friends and and known contacts. Uh, Lena Rain uh, was brought in simply because they really liked her SoundCloud um, and really liked the music she was putting up on there and uh, they invited her on board um and yeah they basically this game was made in Maddie and Noel's flat uh and they invited friends round to play test the game throughout development um and and would adjust the game on the spot uh based on feedback um to test out new ideas and see if the feedback um or see what they've done in response to the feedback actually addressed the issues that were being brought up. Um, some stated inspirations for this game. Um, this comes from a, a charge shot interview, uh, the film Whisper of the Heart, uh, Steven Universe, which I feel very strongly from this game, um, and also a desire to kind of strip away combat and focus on pure platforming. Um, and then later... Uh, later on in development, um, the theme of mental health and uh, Maddie's own experiences kind of came to the fore. Uh, it started out um, purely as kind of an exploration of platforming, and then the mental health um, allegory kind of um, came from that.
1: I, I actually think that shows through in the in the gameplay as well, which we'll get onto. Yeah. But it 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 a bit like Super Meatball. It it really does feel like you know a game that's been focused on the gameplay first. And yeah. then, not not the sort of story is like a zillary to it because it really is, not it really has been interwoven into the game. But it does really feel like you know, you know, there's been plenty of games about mental health that haven't been great to play, and there's been plenty of great platformers that have you know very, you know, insufficient stories. But hasn't necessarily it you know, doesn't necessarily mean it's not a good game. But you know, where this it, it merges together as both a great platformer and a great story. But you you know the fact that it has such a core gameplay element. i when I was playing it, I was like this feels like you know these' been almost not two separate products, but you know so much focus has been put into both sides of this not just one or the other
0: um another um element um to the development and the 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 um the impact of the game post release as well. Is um, Maddie Forson, which we mentioned earlier, um, coming out as trans? Um, and how basically, um, post release, Maddie has said that uh, Madeline's story is about uh, a trans character, that Madeline is trans. Um, and I wanted to read this uh, little um, excerpt from a piece that Maddie Forson wrote um called is mad uh, is madeline canonically trans um so during celeste development i did not know that madeline or myself were trans during the farewell dlc's development i began to form a hunch post development i now know that we both are and my gender identity still isn't all figured out by any means. The Celeste community has wanted clarification on Madeline's identity for a long time now, and I don't blame anyone for wanting that, but the messy realities of my gender identity and coming out have meant that I needed time before I could talk openly about it. Was Madeline's transness left intentionally vague in order to make her story more relatable to cis people? This wasn't our intention. Thinking about it, though, it begs the question... Why couldn't a cis person relate to a trans person? Modern trans struggle might be unique in its details, but it is definitely not alien to the human condition. We are people. When I wrote Celeste, I sincerely still believed that I was cisgender, but I was nevertheless waist-deep in gender feelings, among other anxieties. When Madeline looks in the mirror and sees her other self, when she attempts to abandon her reflection, who then drags her down the mountain when the two reconcile and merge to become stronger and more complete that was all unknowingly written from a trans perspective so maybe if you're a cis person and you you personally relate to madeline you shouldn't feel like we pulled one over on you instead you could take this as evidence that trans and cis feelings aren't so different that the chasm between between transness and cisness isn't such a wide gulf, and that most of the ways that trans existence is alien to you are the result of unjust social othering and oppression. If you got something out of Celeste, and now you're thinking that Madeline being trans ruins that for you, I would take that as a sign that you have some transphobic beliefs you need to work through. Here's something that definitely isn't true. The reason trans representation is important is because human beings can only relate to characters who are identical to themselves, and any gains in trans representation come with an equal loss for cis folks. That's ridiculous, and actually the opposite is true. People need to see and feel the experience of those different from themselves, especially from less privileged groups who they share society with, but wield outsized and often invisible power over. Trans folks and other marginalized groups have a lot to teach that will help everyone. If your cis and Celeste helped you, that's awesome. That simply means that you learn something about yourself from a trans story. Let's, um, let's move on to our histories. Um, I'd like to start with Brian.
2: Yeah, so um, I was, uh, much like you, Josh, I saw the IGN review, the 10 out of 10, and it it went from a game that I was very interested in, to a game that I was going to get day one. Um, I was a huge fan of Super Meat Boy, like a lot of people, and so when it was getting those comparisons, and kind of had the story comparisons, um, or story elements added to it, it was a day one purchase for me. I bought it on my Switch, and I played through it pretty much over the course of... Maybe the better part of a week, and uh, I made through the main story. Didn't really engage with any of the more difficult the B sides and things like that. Um, and then, uh, and then I believe it was either a Game Pass game or a Games with Gold game. I can't remember. Um, I played through it on Xbox, um, maybe a year after its release. And then most recently, over the course of the last two months, I actually got it on the PlayStation. Um and played it during our quarantine period and that is when I really dove into beyond the story more of the uh, the the B sides and the C sides and the more difficult aspects and all the stuff we'll talk about later. So I am a I guess a, a two time purchaser, but like played it through three times on three different platforms because of the Xbox description.
1: Okay. Tony. Um, my first time through it was over the last two weeks. Um not that I wasn't very much aware of it and I have been very much aware of it. It's just, you know, game backlog, as always, getting two stuff. Um I would say that the funny thing is with Celeste is I've heard so much about um the elements of the story and I've heard the odd muttering Super Meat Boy in the same sentence. But I knew very little about how the game played and how that how it played out. Um so this week's been, the well, last couple of weeks, has been a really, you know, great discovery because, on one hand, I'm being told, oh, it's a game about, you know, depression and, you know, anxiety and stuff like that. So, I, in my head, I'm, I'm expecting a certain type of narrative and presented in a certain way, knowing it's based around platform. But as I said earlier, I was so surprised how challenging the game was i know super Meat Boy isn't easy at all but it you know i i was surprised by the type of game i was sitting down and and playing and how competent that side of it was and of course the mu- music and stuff i laid on top of that um so yeah although i'm fresh to the title i knew about it for a very long time and um happened to play it uh was just playing on xbox um just because i owned it but talking about facilities it's also on Game Pass, so you know, it's available to I guess fifteen million or so other people to try if they if they happen to have that service as well. Okay.
0: Rich.
3: Yeah, I could probably start by having a, a quick chat about um the previous game in the developers um Ouv, which is Towerfall. I actually have no relationship with Towerfall, which is a, a very kind of beloved game, and that came out in two thousand and thirteen at a point where I had very young children. So that's kind of this this purgatory place for me where I have no concept of time or memory. And it was a a kind of largely couch co-op game. And, and as you can probably imagine with young kids, none of my friends particularly wanted to come around and sit in silence. Um, so I, I wasn't anticipating Celeste and certainly wasn't following any of the, the media coverage. And to be perfectly honest, if you I had no sense of of how well it was doing in the reviews, interestingly my first exposure it was celeste it is probably not the best one it was through the tool assisted speed run that was done in summer games done quick of 2018 <laughs> which is not the the right way to introduce yourself to that game because that is the perfect representation of, of how to play the game and to be honest with you not a particularly elegant introduction because you will never play the game in the same way that the the TAS bot does um, and how quick when- did they do it Goodness knows, within half an hour, I would assume. (laughs) And when I did get around to playing it, which was after that, it was on my stag do, which would have been in September of 2018. And I played through the game in one sitting while incredibly drunk on absinthe. So I again, have no memory of what what I played when that game was done. How I did it. With the reactions of, uh, like, a, an entirely drunkard, uh, I have no, absolutely no idea, but it was something that I have returned to. I've probably played Celeste maybe about six or seven times across the, the last two or three, well, two and a bit years, um, and I was looking at my game counter. It's in around about 25 hours. It's a game that I like to come back to as, like, a palate cleanser between a lot of the more stodgy open-world games that tend to sit in my PS5.
0: Okay. Um, so... I I did have a relationship with the previous title Towerfall, and and I hope at some point we'll do an issue on that um, because um, I think Towerfall is a kind of a masterpiece in its own right. Obviously, in a very different space, um, and nowhere you know, I say nowhere near a non-existent story <laughs> or anything like that. It's it's more uh, it's purely focused on the multiplayer. Uh, couch experience but I think in that arena I think Towerful absolutely excels, Uh, it just controls incredibly well and manages to mine a heap of depth out of a very limited set of mechanics Um, but I wasn't really aware that Celeste was uh, connected with uh, Towerfall at the time. Um, I was aware of, because through through my professional activities, I was aware of Celeste's existence before the reviews kind of hit. Um, I had played a demo of it um, uh, like a year before it came out um, and uh, remembering thinking, okay, this is something that's worth keeping an eye on this has some potential i wasn't really quite prepared for just quite how positive and universally loved it was right from the word go um and it ended up being a a, a day one purchase based on based on that word of mouth um so i've i've played it through on the switch um and um i've gone back and done a few things like Getting extra strawberries um doing a few b sides and things like that um but I am not nearly as well versed in the kind of uh content outside of the the main campaign as some of the other panelists um but yeah i i i managed to i managed to kind of rinse this game um in a in about a week um when it first launched let's uh move on to the scenario story and setting. um i am going to issue a spoiler warning at this point. um i do think celeste has a story that can be spoiled. so if you have not uh played the game or completed the game, uh either turn back or you you know make the decision that you don't care and carry on. <laughs> um so uh to set up the, the kind of scenario, you play as Madeline, um, who has decided that um, uh, they are going to uh, ascend the Celeste Mountain. Celeste is is a real mountain, but this Celeste Mountain has nothing to do with that Celeste Mountain. Uh, the de- the developers just really like the name. So I want to start off with um, Truck Kurt's uh, post on the forum. Um, and then we can kind of bounce off from there and and talk uh, a little bit about our broad feelings about the story. Um, A lot was made of the story in Celeste and how it relates to anxiety, depression, and mental health. I didn't know whether I would get the same reaction as others had to the game, given I hadn't suffered from anxiety or depression, but despite this, it did have an effect on me. I could relate to what Madeline was going through through other mental health issues I've had through an eating disorder which even though that wasn't something madeline suffered from i found some of her feelings to be applicable to my own past feelings in many ways i thought overcoming the challenge of climbing the mountain and the sense of achievement or lack thereof as she got closer to the peak was quite profound and affecting would anyone like to dive in first on on the topic of mental health go go for it brian
2: yeah i um this had an instant appeal for me um I I talk a lot about my own mental health and anxiety um and depression issues. I'm uh I'm a big believer in in talking about it if if you're comfortable talking about it and um this game spoke to me on that level uh right off the bat. Um just that struggle against yourself, um the struggle to 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 both run away from your problems but also to conquer them and how sometimes those ideas don't align and they don't have the you kind of don't have the same common goal within yourself you're always searching for a goal searching for what to do next and and this game just spoke to that uh to to that and me and 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 i it it was just one of those things where this game writes so well from an anxiety and depression perspective that almost every line of dialogue in between these long hard platforming sections like every feeling that madeline was having it'd be like god (laughs) <laughs> that well there there's another thing like it was like checking all the boxes for me as I was playing and um and it really it, it has such a positive vibe like it, it as a whole that like it, while it is a game about anxiety and depression like it, it, there's always this hopeful undertone to it which i really enjoyed cuz a lot of times when we see anxiety and depression um talked about in any form of media it is because it, ca- it has a lot of negatives to it but It very rarely do we see a a viewpoint where it's just, there's this, it's like just veiled in optimism, which normally it's the other way around. And, and yeah, so, um, I'll talk a little bit more about the story later, but it it just was one of those things that like, it kept, it kept me pushing me through the platforming section because I wanted to see what happened next in Madeline's journey. I wanted to see where that story went.
3: I am really pleased that Trucker came in with a a very personal anecdote of his relationship with, um his own personal eating disorder you know prior to the show i was having to think about how to approach this because in reality i find the the kind of almost the, the allegory of your mountain to be a little bit unappealing to me it feels like something that's quite blunt um but in reflecting on some of the correspondence and on my own feelings really i think the the fact is that the the, the idea of the depression being the problem is something that I, I, I think is irrelevant. I think it's the symptoms of whatever Maddie, uh, Madeline excuse me, is going through that we can all recognize with. I know personally for myself, I have quite a profound relationship with imposter complex. And a lot of the the feelings that, that Madeline goes through is something that I can quite kind of easily recognize in myself. And so I guess that the symptoms that a lot of people experience are, are kind of... Uh, represented quite well within the um the story and the setting itself
0: i think like t- to to speak to my own personal experience rich rich already um mentioned imposter syndrome and um badlin um for me because like i i've been very fortunate in that like depression sp- uh, depression specifically hasn't featured a huge amount in my own mental health history um obviously i've had moments of of you know um feeling incredibly down but they've always coincided with something concrete in my life that was a reason for me to feel incredibly down i've not experienced depression in the sense that some of my friends and family have experienced it where the world is fine and yet i feel awful um, so I, I feel very priv- privileged in that regard. But anxiety, on the other hand, is something that I have felt in spades, specifically social anxiety and um, that being very much tied into uh, imposter syndrome of constantly feeling like uh, I'm not good enough and um, and almost kind of uh, wanting – because the, the, there was a kind of part of Madeline and Badeline's relationship where – madeline um kind of wants to be criticized or at least i i kind of got that from her is that she has such a negative view of herself that somebody saying something positive is almost like that's like that's a lie you're just trying to make me feel better (laughs) like and i felt that like very strongly i have felt that people have said positive things about my work and about myself because that was polite rather than they actually felt it um and i really related to that extremely and and like there's um to tie this into um Another piece of media. I think I think this film has aged in, in some regards, um, but there's one moment that really stands out to me that I really relate to, is um, when Donnie Darko is first talking to Gretchen Ross um, as they're walking back because school, is, school has been cancelled. And Donnie Darko is the most awkward mess of a man that you've ever seen talking to Gretchen. Um, and then the moment gretchen leaves kind of like his area of influence if if that makes sense um it's like he snaps back to normality and he immediately starts denigrating himself and going why did you say that you're such an idiot like why would you why would you act like that and the number of situations where i felt like that um where i felt like i'm a different person when i'm around somebody i'm not comfortable with and I don't know very well versus what I'm like by myself or with people that I've known for a while that I feel more comfortable with that frustration of why can't I just automatically be that more comfortable person because I come off better when I'm comfortable. I come off less awkward when I'm comfortable and like some of Madeline's interactions with Theo and, and uh, some of the other characters are the old woman and Oroshi, kind of speak to that as well like just like being so um lacking so much confidence in in yourself and your own ability that you just can't relax and just be a the best version of yourself that you are you are capable of being but your inner voice is basically stopping you from being that because uh, you're just riddled with self doubt yeah. and questioning every word that comes out of your head.
1: Um, the the only other thing I want to say before we, we one my story. Did anyone else like? It's funny we're talking about like climbing the mountain and and all that. But I think for the majority of the game, in my head, I felt like that the game was just played out in her own mind, in her own head, and that she didn't wasn't necessarily climbing the mountain. That you know, this was her own headspace. In a kind of, her, you know, her home space, you know, d- dealing with things in her head and actually not necessarily physically climbing the mountain, actually just climbing the mountain mentally through through that space.
3: But, yeah, indeed. And, and we'll probably cover this as we go into the mechanics, but the the way in which she climbs the mountain and the, the kind of supernatural um, way in which she tackles that mountain sort of lends some credence to that concept, Tony. Yeah. I, I completely agree.
2: Yeah. The only thing I want I have, I want to just piggyback off what Tony said about uh, the with depression and then honestly uh, what josh said too about um with his battle with anxiety like the the self-talk that that madeline and then battle and have and kind of lit their back and forth um uh kind of speaking to what josh said and what tony said like i i had to stop playing this game a couple times uh, during through it because because i i mean personally um ha- having anxiety and depression like i like there are times where like that where where battle and would just be like why are you doing this you're never gonna you're never gonna climb this mountain. You don't know, like you. You can't do this. We can't do this. And this that, that that just like that. Seeing that like that inner voice that beats you down, whatever, however, however you want to describe it, um, like personified on screen, and then reading those words as she's kind of like she gets kind of like that shaky animation, like that angry, like she like like she's just brimming with emotion, mm-hmm. like she kind of glows a little bit more purple, and like the text box shakes, and I just like like I'm I, I'm struggling to not getting emotional talking about it now. It's just like. That it was, at least at the time, and and maybe, and I'm I'm trying not to be hyperbolic, but but it it is one of the most accurate representations of how it feels inside my brain I've ever seen on a screen, you know, and that just like it just floored me a couple times to the point where, like, yeah, it inspired me to keep playing the game, but also sometimes just like it it also made me just want to crawl back in my shell a little bit too, and it it's it was so affecting going through it that I ended up talking to my wife about my experience playing the game talking to I actually talked to my counselor about my experience playing the game um, and how it made me feel both times I played through it or well three times but um, uh, recently and then a few years ago it just it it does I think it, it speaks a lot to what Maddie was saying and what we read before about how like there there are so many pieces of this game that you can identify with um, that anybody can identify with um, and and kind of exposing your own uh, faults maybe not faults but exposing your own raw emotion to you on that screen it I can tell you from personal experience it it was like sometimes shocking sometimes it made you made me hate myself more sometimes it made me you know feel inspired to carry on it it it, I ran the gamut of emotions playing the game that's for sure
0: Let's move into the characters that are featured throughout the game. It's a relatively small cast. Um, we've already um, started talking about uh, Madeline and Badeline's relationship. Um, is there anything additional to what we've already talked about that you'd like to, to like, uh, like to bring up with uh, Madeline and Badeline specifically?
3: The the thing that I find particularly fascinating about Madeline, um, and I don't believe she's called Madeline. I think that's a, a kind of community name that's voiced upon her. I think she's known as the the, the voice within, or, or something like that. With within the game itself, is um, the, the 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 character moves from being a, a an antagonist to being like a sort of inherent part of, of Madeline, and the the way in which the game tackles that through animation and through um just the dialogue and through the actual mechanics that goes through that is is wonderful and a really kind of beautiful understanding of of how Overcoming anxiety and how kind of putting to bed any of your own personal um, problems and, and, and demons, it, you know, that, that's a really powerful message and a, a kind of beautifully conveyed one.
2: That was so much more eloquent than what I was going to say. I was going to say that I thought that the part where she busted out of the mirror was really cool. <laughs> that's all I was going to say. I just thought I, the thing that I, I was thinking about in my last playthrough of this game was that, like, I really, the sprites are very simplistic. You know, I mean, varies uh, a small amount of pixels. They like even Madeline, like like Madeline, she doesn't have any facial features. Like her sprite doesn't; it's just a blank face. But the amount that they're able to emote with these sprites and and like the animations are so quality that like like when Madeline first comes through and then she's that those first couple chase sequences, like like I just like you could we could really like you could almost sense sense the tension between them just by the way they interacted on the screen. It was um I just think masterfully done. So yeah, that's all I was gonna say.
0: Just to, to to piggyback on, on uh, Rich's point as well, it really reminded me of um, uh, a similar uh, message that a horror movie called The Babadook has um, at the end. Uh, spoilers a little bit for The Babadook. Um, but um, essentially the, the, the end of that film is this horror, um, this f- part of you is never going to disappear. It's never going to go away but you can find peace with it and as long as you tend to it as long as you keep uh you know keep it under wraps keep it keep um getting essentially um it's not explicit in the babadoo but essentially it's like get therapy talk to people talk about it like um make sure that you're you're keeping on top of it um, Obviously, the ba- the Babadook is like more of a force of nature in that film, um, rather than like explicitly a person or a personality. Um, but bad like that kind of it's a similar kind of relationship with Madeline and Badeline. It's right. It's like by acknowledging that Badeline is a part of Madeline, and just acknowledging that this isn't you can't run away from Badeline. You can't deny her. You can't reject her. You have to accept battling otherwise um it's just going to get worse and worse and worse i think that is really effective and i've i've seen that narrative device used in a few places um but like the more awkward and more awful version of this which i've seen plenty of times is the vanquishing of the mental health issues the the treating it like a demon or a dragon to be slain um and i'm glad that this avoided that trope, but Badlin is essentially redeemed um, towards the end. Well,
2: I was, just I was thrusting the master sword through Shadow Link's sternum, and then all of a sudden <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the problems yeah. just like evaporate, yeah. and the sun comes out. Yeah,
1: that's. A... Now, now, to your point, I mean they're not caricatures because you could have had a, a, a situation where Madeline was like really positive, and then you had Madeline, which was really negative, and they've got to find a way to work together. And actually, you know. Madeline is trying to deal with the issues she has but actually they 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 don't turn Madeline into this character that is just entirely negative the way it actually transposes it is Madeline's also got to work through her problems like she's got to she's got to come to grips with the fact that you know the negativity all negativity is is not helpful but actually Madeline knows that she you know some negativity is helpful so it's not just this yes or no scenario it's this you know a lot more complex and I think they play that out in both characters both characters although they are one of the same go through this you know arc of development and it isn't just black and white you know good and bad it it is both of them need to learn to live with each other as much as Madeline is you know a the character that's kind of being forced out of her head, and she's trying to deal with it. I I do feel like they're two very separate characters that just happen to be one of the whole, and they work with them so well to make them both flesh out and both work together. And in fact, you know, towards the back end of the game, you know, I'm almost as invested in Madeline's story as Madeline's story because they, they do feel very very you know different from each other, but as as one.
2: I think that the, everything you guys explained that I completely agree with it like it, it's shown best in the relationship that Madeline has with Mr Oshiro, the ghost that runs the ghost hotel uh, because like Madeline is trying to save him like a lot of the time or trying to help him and constantly Badeline is like, why do you attach yourself to toxic people you know this guy's trying to literally kill you at the end of the hes like and you're still going to help him and Madeline's like oh she's not all bad so like and even though she wants to leave this guy in the dust and not try to help him she's also kind of like that conscience aspect of like you know you you attach yourself to people that drag you down you're trying you you have this um, you, you have this attraction to this toxic relation like it, 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 they they complement each other in such realistic ways that you kind of do in your head like, like I, I have been someone myself who has Maybe spent way too much time In my life in certain relationships Trying to repair them when they weren't Repairable and they, it's just very identif- Identifiable themes versus What Tony was describing where you could just be Like like, oh I'm the good version you're the bad Version but we gotta get together like it's It's much more nuanced than that and the Writing just, just it just supports it in Such a way that um, It's just it's just it's completely believable For such what is a literal Unbelievable scenario it's, it's really Neat
0: I think like yeah o- Oshiro is really interesting because um Oshiro's um internal struggle um is very different because whereas Madeline is constantly kind of putting herself down and kind of taking comfort in critic- criticizing herself Oshiro needs external validation um needs to be needed um by other people and when is rejected lashes out violently mm. um i love that as a counterpoint to madeline's struggle uh oshiro is kind of going on a very different journey um i want to touch on fio um I'm, I'm gonna be honest here and say that if i met fio in real life I would probably hate him. Now, that's not to say that I think Theo is a bad character or, or, or uh, you know, badly realized or anything like that. I think Theo is a great representation of exactly what Theo is meant to be. Um, it's just I find a lot of – I know a Theo, right? <laughs> like a Theo exists in my life. Uh, I have known many Theo's. And it's a it's a personality trait uh, or personality type, sorry, um, that is off-putting to me because I find it quite shallow and self self-involved. Um, but I he does play an important part in this story um, and kind of breaking Madeline out of her shell a little bit. What what's everyone else's take on Theo?
1: So Theo is a bit all over the place, but one he he supplies one of the greatest, I think. Um feelings of the game when he teaches madeline to to calm herself by imagining a feather um just breathing yeah. up and down and i you i know, and I think he is well he comes across as her her anchor doesn't he that you know not everything is is doom and gloom and you know sometimes he comes across as overly positive, not that he doesn't necessarily have his moments because in in that um in the hotel himself he's like, well, I'm out here, I'm not helping this as a madman. Um, so he's not to blame of any criticism, but yeah, you know, I I think he is a grounding character for her, um, and maybe makes makes the rest of the the crew a little bit more complex through his own simplicity, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, I would have liked to see that character being developed a bit further, mm. and and for me, I mean, the the description that he's given is is a, a guy who quit his job because he hated it and likes taking pictures for his. Is i forgot what it's called but it's like an instagram equivalent oh, my followers yeah yeah and it would you know like i think that 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 in and of itself would be an absolutely fascinating um like discussion as to whether or not like that kind of validation that he seeks through taking photos of celeste mountain is something that he can overcome or but it it's not really explored in any meaningful way and perhaps we're not ready for that in 2021 with our relationship with social media but there you go
2: yeah yeah, maybe they um that the the interesting thing about Theo um or it shouldn't say the interesting thing about Theo one of the interesting interactions with Theo was um it, it's another representation of how Madeline does feel the need to help or save um yeah yeah because I mean they have that 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 level the end of that one level is it's literally you carrying him you know through and saving him and um but. And there's there's mention of like how Madeline reminds Theo of Theo's sister and things like that, but it doesn't really go anywhere in the same way that that the other, you know, few characters do. Um
0: the the last character, um, I don't know how much people have um to talk about her just because she kind of acts as like a uh a kind of guide rather than um an explicit kind of Anchor point for narrative narrative uh, stuff to happen, um, but there there's the old woman that you meet towards the beginning of the game, and then encounter at several points throughout, and then the very end. Um, any any thoughts or feelings on on the old woman? The only thing that I can think about is is that
3: she's almost like the vector through which Madeline can convey her feelings and one of the things that's kind of fascinating about it is the woman appears not to kind of like humor madeline in any way and and kind of give her any sympathy towards it and i think um if i remember correctly is often kind of like like conveyed with a a smiling image so it's kind of interesting to see you've got this um like as i say a vector who who's just a a kind of blank slate and doesn't necessarily bring anything out but doesn't have anything to say and i think that that's also a perfectly valid uh, position to take like the the person who isn't there trying to fix things or trying to compare their own problems with that and in in some ways like quite a pessimistic character telling madeline she can't do it at the beginning and and then yeah yeah so an interesting character but not necessarily one that sees a great deal of development
0: so um, I want to start off by talking about the move set um, of uh, Madeline. Um, Maddie uh, Thorson has a great Twitter thread on the small design choices um, about uh, the con- the way um, the game controls. Um, Uh, they go into um, stuff like uh, coyote time which if you're listening to this and don't know what that is essentially when you jump off of a platform there's actually a little bit of time after you've uh, run off a platform where you can still jump so it's allowing you a little bit of leeway on when you press the jump button and there's actually like loads of decisions like that loads of little things that kind of let you get away with doing something slightly too early or slightly too late whether it be gripping onto a platform or or you know doing a dash or you know encountering a dash icon that kind of thing um and maddie forson said um at the end of this fred you might have noticed a pattern all um all the mechanics are centered around widening timing positioning windows so that everything is fudged a tiny bit in the player's favor i think this is a big reason why celeste can feel kind even though it's very difficult, it wants you to succeed. Um, so uh, what are, what's everyone's feelings on um, Madeline's moveset and how she feels to control? Rich, do you want to start us off on this one?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think, um, so it, it's, it's kind of a bold moveset because there's, there's very little to it. You've got the, the jump, the move, the, the wall grab, um, and then the subsequent climbing, and that's pretty much it. Um, one thing that, that I, I think the, I mean, this is, probably quite advanced before we actually get into the the sort of nitty-gritty of those three particular moves is that the game it, it is very kind and it's it's almost built in such a way that it rewards you for being incredibly aggressive towards it we might cover this as we we have a chat about some of the the b-sides and the c-sides later but i often found that just going in as quickly and as aggressively as possible was was just the best way to to do it, and to be bold and to be and, and be emboldened by the move set was um was a really strong way of of kind of approaching the levels with with a great
1: deal of success. I think I I like the fact that the simplicity of the move set is apart from you know, uh getting a double jump halfway through the game. Um, I li- I like the fact that it presents you with your move set, and it doesn't really add on to that unless it's per level. So there might be You know, a bubble that you you burst into that allows you to travel through a certain area, you know, super fast and they move. But the core moveset doesn't alter. They don't suddenly find, you know, something you can do over here and something you can do over here and you can add a point into here. It's just, it is what it is. And it's almost, if you're bringing it back into the story, it's like, this is you. This is your moveset. And how are you going to use it? You know, these are all the things you're going to be given in life. And it's about just putting all these pieces together. And using them to the best of their abilities rather than just adding extra bits in that you don't necessarily need. And I think the the best platformers tend to do that. So if if I go back to Super Meat Boys, this game has those kind of parallels. You know, it's a very simplistic moveset. It's about how well it it is to the, the movement of the character to get from A to B. And it this really plays in that. Now that there's obviously lots of platformers out there and, you know, there's always the classics to talk about but to put this in that same category as a platformer and we talked about an hour and over an hour about the story but to have that kind of precision in a platformer even though they are like you say kind of fudging it is a real bold thing to be able to you know, st- sit on the podcast and actually talk about because it's not easy um i'm i'm going to say it's not perfect because there is times when and I don't know where it's down to sort of the pad or whatever. I almost felt like at one stage I just wanted a joystick to get the perfect angle, rather than trying to use a, a you know, a controller joystick. Or a, you know, at times I'd use a D-pad over the joystick because I needed those, you know, very precise up and down movements, rather mm-hmm. than slightly off the the edge. But um, yeah, I I really appreciated the fact that it didn't just keep on layering on stuff unless it was very specific to the level set that you're in and to get through that level.
2: This game it does so so many good things with momentum and like and and gravity and weight um, that that makes all of those move movements feel like uh, they're both <laughs> it's such a contrarian thing to say but like it's it they, they both embolden you to try hard and 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 risky things but they're also limited in their ability like that dash is a fast dash but it it only goes so far and and the game does a great job of. Layering those stages in a way that, like, getting you to just kind of push the ability just a little bit farther, just a little bit farther, little, like from from screen to screen. And not every game does that well. And in, in in a platformer like this, like, um, like that is this kind of you know can at times be crazy hard, very difficult platformer. Like, like just limiting that move set to to those things that you have that you know you're able to do. It doesn't. It makes you feel like oh, I'm not missing out on something I'm supposed to do here. I just need to be able to do it right. I know what I have to do. I just have to be able to do it. And that's and that's a big difference versus, like, beating your head against the wall being, man, I just don't know what to do here. It feels more satisfying when you know what you have to do. It's just a matter of achieving
1: the goal. Well, back to my comment earlier about having to look up a YouTube video to see what I was doing was correct. What I was doing was correct. I just wasn't doing it proficiently enough to get through the level. And that's you know that's a good thing. That's just me having to, you know, once I've... Spent another ten goes, I did it because I was just had the confidence I was doing it right, yeah, um, and I think the other key for a game like this is not to give the player you know twenty minutes of level to get through you, oh, you failed, so you go back to the start. The fact that it is screens it is good old fashioned here 's the screen, conquer it, and sometimes it could be fifty lives to conquer a single screen, and other times it's just a, you, you don't lose a life at all, you just go straight for the yeah. screen and the the empowering nature of. Going from that juxtaposition of a good God, I'm oh but I've I've done it and I feel, you know, emboldened by it and then the next screen of like, huh yeah, I'm a master. Only to get the next screen. It's like, oh my god, here we go again.
3: I wanted to say, Tony, 50 screens. You can add another zero on that for some of the screens that I've been playing today. Um, the 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 animation of the the kind of basic things is is like a thing to behold. There's a really interesting um, video on YouTube from Game Makers Toolkit about how they've really kind of got the the perfect blend of of gravity and the perfect blend of frames of animation in the walk and animation is a great example of like five frames to build up speed and then three frames to slow down that gives the weight the 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 animations this really like beautiful weight and predictability and and immediacy that you you need on a game that's as demanding as celeste's
0: yeah i think what um, a lot of the difficult, like really difficult games that I I love have in common is my complete trust in my interaction with the controller and what happens on screen. Um, the reason why something like, like Uncharted, um, a game series that I really enjoy and, and love a couple of entries in that series of, but the reason why I, I don't really engage with the higher difficulties of that series and and tend to either go easy or normal is because I don't have complete trust in, uh, in my actions directly translating into what I want to have happen on screen. There's always, like, even, like... And, you know, 90% of the time it goes my way, that's still not enough for me to be like, okay, uh, it's, you know, whenever something goes wrong, it's totally on me. Sometimes I feel like it's the game's fault. With Celeste, I feel like, um, and with other great platformers like Super Meat Boy, like, I... Everything I do on on the controller directly translates into exactly what I want want to happen on screen. And because I have that trust, it allows, first and foremost, it allows that kind of flow state to happen, where you're kind of just doing things on muscle memory, which is just a great feeling when a platformer can kind of engage that part of your brain. Um, But also just reduce my frustration, because whenever I something didn't go my way it's because i i literally just didn't do the thing i didn't think to do the thing that i need to do um and yeah i i think like you you spoke um spoke to like the quickness of the turnaround in terms of like checkpointing tony about how like you're not starting a whole level from the start it's just a screen and also that load time like milliseconds (laughs) like snap right like straight back in like wasting no time and the subtle fit and this is something super meat boy does as well the music track doesn't start from the beginning every time it just carries on from where it was in the track and that it's a it's such a sub you know subconscious psychological trick but that feeling of continued momentum makes you continue um and yeah i uh, like there was a quote recently um from one of the leads on on neo 2 which i think is absolutely um applicable here i've forgotten the name of the the developer uh unfortunately but what what the essence of what they said was that making a difficult game is like making an incredibly spicy meal like just pouring a bunch of chili powder or uh, in a dish and going done that's not that's not success you have not successfully made a spicy dish you've made an unedible dish um the craft is in making something that burns someone's mouth and they they keep eating because it's delicious and i think this is this this is that right it's it's something that's incredibly difficult but it facilitates that difficulty with all these subtle touches and the controls and the way the game is well, set up i, I
1: love the the game at the well, oh, right at the very start it it says you as the player should embrace the death counter, not be afraid by it. And I and I love yeah. that because it, it gives you that permission to go, Oh no, I how how did I die two thousand times playing this game? That is insane. It's actually like yeah, I died two thousand times playing this game and it's okay. Do you know what? I'm surprised I didn't die two thousand five hundred times. And it it's it's a point of honour, isn't it, for for many people? Yeah, so it's almost like yeah, I I died for yeah, I've I've looked at some of my um my friends you know leaderboards and stuff, and you're looking at them like wow, they they died seven thousand times, and but you look at the other stuff and they've done all the extra stuff, and you and you're like you know their journey up the mountain has been <laughs> traumatic, um, but but they've loved every second because you know the, you don't die seven thousand times in a game and not. Enjoy that your experience of the yeah. game because those two you just can't parallel. This is why people love Dark Souls, right? It's it's not you know death is just a learning mechanic and all it is because it's such an instant restart. It's just a learning mechanic. I jumped, I have jumped. That's not and in in fact so many levels you jump in and you will die because you don't know the next how to get to the next thing and that death is just that learning mechanic. Okay, yeah, you get a bit further, you get a bit further. Yeah, that's
2: what i was gonna say like there are so many times especially in some of those b-sides where i would just like i jump. would know i would just yeah. jump and dash just so i could see what was next mm-hmm. <laughs> and knowing full well i was gonna die because that that <sighs> that instant respawn cannot be overstated like even just the slightest hitch if it just took a little bit longer just took a little to get back to the start of a level it'd be maddening i mean it still is maddening on some levels but like it would be almost unplayable that that the the agony of weight, but just like you get this instant gratification, like just right back at it again. Like Josh said, the momentum just doesn't stop. And that's huge. It just can't be overstated.
0: Brian. Sir. Do you want to explain to me what wave dashing is?
2: I don't, because I could never do it. (laughs) (laughs) I watched several videos on it, but no, I was um yeah, wave dashing. So the way I understand wave dashing is the a technique where you hit your dash at the apex of a jump, and you can essentially get a few extra frames out of that dash. Am I explaining the right, Rich? Yeah, do you, is that?
3: Uh, pass. That oh. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, it <that> sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, yeah, There's so a number I, of different techniques. Uh, I suppose. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, 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 never was able to pull it off. It, it's kind of like, um, I equate it to. Well, I can't remember what they called it, and uh, it was either Mario Kart Double Dash or Mario Kart Wii. Where like you would do like the hop drift Mm -hmm. thing and you could just like gain like like infinite stamina like i just yeah, yeah yeah exactly i could never do it so like so you do like from like if you jump to the right and wave dash and then go back to the left but diagonally down you can jump again almost instantly after landing to continue like it's it, but i I even yeah, then
3: it sort of sustains the momentum that you've built yeah, from your original mm, wave dash and, exactly um, it's, yeah. it's a necessity for the heart of the mountain I believe Um yeah. y- you must learn it at that point so
2: yeah I I can tell you with certainty that I did not I never became a master of any type of wave dashing um like I, said, I did all of the uh I did all of the b-sides um without any wave dashing oops but uh, but they will, yeah, brute force exactly. <laughs> but then later on, um, we'll talk about the seaside experience later. Um, I'm not sure if the seaside's, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see.
1: <laughs> it, there is there is nuances though to learn. I I I, I definitely learned. I, I was really um, you know, when you you jump and you so in one of the levels, like you go into there's multiple different kind of bubbles and stuff you can go into and then come out of. And I always found myself wanting to the, the moment. A bubble popped that I needed to move like instantaneously or you know preempt it popping so I could get that bit further. And it, it took me a while to realise actually there's a slight delay the moment you come out of one of those those bubbles. You almost hang for like a, a split second, which gives you enough time to kind of readjust exactly where you should be aiming. Um but I must have lost like two hundred lives not realizing that for the longest of time until one time I was just like just stood there, looked at the screen and Purposely died because I was just frustrating myself, and I was like, "Huh, you hang for like half a second. That makes it a lot easier." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And but that's just you know typical gamer kind of logic in your head. like, "Oh no, this is how ge- this is how this should work." And actually, just you know, taking a step back and, and viewing those levels, and even to the point where occasionally I would just stand on the platform, even if it was to break underneath me, just so I could watch like the patterns around. To know how I would get through a certain like you know flaming ball set etc. Um, and like the death was irrelevant. The death was just learning that pattern to the right of the screen, so I could actually you know challenge myself. And yeah, you know, I love the fact that this game doesn't seemingly punish you you know for your failure. Um, and I know that plays into the narrative, and and you know that's a good thing. But you know, I I did appreciate not feeling completely out of my depth on occasions. The fact that I died so many times
3: can can i just take 2 minutes uh, I, I know we're quite a ways in but i wanted to have a, a quick discussion about um just the feel of the controls and the actual the, the mechanics of um playing this game with a controller one thing that I would say is I found this game pretty much impossible to play with the analog stick because while you do move in the sort of cardinal directions and the and the diagonals, I, I could never use the analog stick in such a way that it was, like, reliable uh, and for me personally. And what that led to was quite a lot of repetitive strain injury in my thumbs by using the D-pad, specifically in my case on on the PS4. And, and that can't be... Um, overlooked in my case because it really limited the amount of time that i could actually spend playing the game it's not something that i could hate over and over and over again on a nightly basis um and and try and go through it and it's one of the reasons that i've played this game like consistently and persistently and the, the more you want to kind of utilize some of those advanced mechanics the, the probably the more uh punishing it's going to be on your on your limbs my thumb knuckles are like dust today after trying to do some of the b-sides from earlier yeah
2: yeah, I, I completely agree with you. The only time I, I used the analog stick was with using the golden feathers. I couldn't, like, make some of those curves without using the stick. Um, but uh, the B-sides, um, I, after I finished the Core of the Mountain B-side, where I played, like, over the course of two or three days, I played all nine B-sides, or all, excuse me, all eight B-sides from the main campaign. Um, I couldn't play a video game for either two or three days because my thumb, my left thumb particularly, it was just, it was just I mean... Decimated uh, by that, so I I feel that completely.
0: Do you think this is maybe? Um, I don't know what platforms you you both played this on, but like my instinct is with the PS4 controller where the D pad is placed, that could cause issues. Do you think that's? to blame, or is it or is it just inherent with using the D-pad? Oh,
3: I, I couldn't possibly say. I'm afraid I'd love to give you a, a kind of nice, intelligent answer to that, but I, I don't have it, unfortunately. I think it's um. there's some levels in particular that require you to really reach for the, the diagonal up and left and the diagonal right and left, and it's it's just not a natural position for your thumbs. It
1: It is funny you say that. I was playing this on the Xbox, um, and I was playing it, to sound fancy for a second, I was playing it on the Elite Series 2 pad, Um and the reason I bring that up is, what I ended up doing was they have a, a facility on that pad where you can actually tighten the control sticks to be quite a lot of resistance back. Um, and that's actually what I found was the best on that pad, was to actually make the controls not so, so responsive. To I know that sounds weird because it's quite a responsive game, but just to allow me to have a little bit of force and not just interact a, an ability really, really quickly. And I, it like changed my game overnight. Although, as I said earlier, there was there was moments I I used the the joystick probably for a good half of the game and found it perfectly tolerable. But there was moments when, like position up or position left, you know, going inside bubbles out that you had I had to use the D pad because any kind of slight wrong, slightly wrong adjustment, and you know it was it was you know you've you've lost that run. So you know the controls I think are absolutely tight, but yeah your, your variation yeah you, your mileage may vary a little bit on and what input you might use
3: That that's fascinating and I think what, one of the the major contributing reasons that um, I got that kind of like thumb problem is probably because in a game as tense and um, it has such kind of demanding requisites in terms of button inputs like I am like poised at any moment and, and really gripping that pad and and maybe that's the reason that I probably just need to Maybe you'd need to relax and, and do something a little bit different for a
0: change. Just to finish us out on uh, the controls of the game, this uh, forum post from uh, Delby2K. Um, I hate trying to find ways to discuss how to describe a game where a lot of it comes down to saying how good it feels to play. But for Celeste, that is my abiding memory of a game that simply felt special. The flow of movement was sublime for me. The character was responsive and nimble with the layouts that gave you enough of a guide as to what to do but were not always so obvious as to be pandering. Collectibles were set in enticing places to make the mind boggle and the slow release of abilities managed to never overwhelm or confuse. Everything felt measured but also frantic, pressured but not unreasonably punishing with a quick restart to erase the imprint of previous failures. It managed to encapsulate the best thing about being a game. Words can paint the picture, but until you play it, they can never be enough. I also want to give a special mention to the soundtrack, which is something that contains some of the best music that year, capturing both the on-screen action and the associated mental state of the protagonist in a chiptune rendering, it's still on repeat for me on a regular basis. There are collectibles dotted, out, uh, dotted throughout the levels. Um, some of them serve a more explicit mechanical function, so there are dash charge gems that are uh, strategically placed to refill your, your dash uh, meter, meter, your dash hair, whatever you want to call it <laughs> like the color the color of your hair that indicates that you have a dash um
1: so that you can can uh, stay in the air longer on a side note how long did it take any of us just to get through the main main story of the game not necessarily repeating going back through levels and overall time but just the main campaign of the game probably around 10 hours about six hours
2: yeah, yeah. i think it was between seven and eight this last time I, if I want to say
1: Okay, I was very yeah.
3: drunk on my first playthrough. Tony had to. Ask <laughs> no, to my friends. I mean, I I, th-
1: I think I was around ten hours. You know, I I I yeah. Same. For me, it was the first part of the game seemed you know relatively approachable and easy, but there was there was some bits, tools that you know climbing the mountain that you know <laughs> it took took me a lot longer than I ex- necessarily expected. Um, so, you know, it's yes, fine. It t- it maybe took me three or four hours <laughs> more than some, but my journey was good. But I think now I'm I'm getting close to twenty hours in the game, um, just through going back and and doing B sides and collecting strawberries and, and experiencing more and you know, I I was listening to um somebody talk about their run of getting the um uh the golden strawberries and I think they had clocked two hundred and ten hours into the game. Oh. <laughs> because they had Gone, gone chasing the the golden strawberries, and you know, not wanting to use exists and stuff like that. And yeah, they achieved it. I think that might have been the completionist or something. Like that their YouTube channel. <laughs> it was. So yeah, I think you know, there's there's a lot of game here if you wish to indulge in the extra content. But if you just want to get from you know, experience the journey up the mountain, you're probably looking somewhere between probably six and ten hours.
0: Um the the other kind of interesting collectible is the crystal hearts. Um they more commonly manifest as puzzles um where you're just on a screen like one of the the ones that um you encounter really early on is the radio tower with the with the birds um and um yeah they they're always like there's some trick to getting these crystal hearts some way that you you can access them um did, did i i'm assuming the people who engaged with with the core and and some of the the kind of post campaign stuff um had to kind of engage with the crystal hearts quite heavily so um do, do you want to speak to the, your experience with these these collectibles
2: yeah, I I didn't get them at all my first time playing through the game, but the leading up to the show, I I went back and I got all the crystal hearts. Um, they you can't get through the entire core of the mountain without having all of. Or, or I want to say it's six of the eight you need to have gotten to unlock the last part of the core. Um, I could be wrong on that. It might be all eight, but um, I think
1: it's all eight. Yeah, is it all eight? Uh, yeah, I could. Cause... I did them
2: in order. I was. I did use a guide to help me. Um, I. Want to say that I got four of them naturally, um, and then the other four I needed help. Like, That's the exact same go. as me. Yeah. Oh, really? Like a, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They um. So like some of them uh like are are really interesting puzzles. There's um, uh the one I think I think it's on uh the third the f- uh old site level with the star blocks. They um it's kind of ingenious. You use this technique where if you dash into an uh, adjacent screen, your dash resets. So in order to get the crystal heart, you have to kind of go back and forth between two screens, and you just kind of go up and up and up. It was pretty pretty neat. Um, so and and like really ingenious puzzle stuff with some of them. The the one in the um, hotel where you have to you have to go back through after the water's been turned off. It's just it, it just interesting things. Um, but then the, I, I will say, and Tony, you can tell me if you think it's right. The 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 last one, the one on the summit, the cl- the actual final climb is just it's it's just aggressively sadistic you have to (laughs) find multiple gems don't you yeah you find six gems Mm -hmm. that are hidden throughout each of this because the the summit kind of like there's like a theme for each of the levels you went through before getting up to the summit so each one of those had his own gem you have to collect all six of them in one run to unlock the final gem to then get up to the crystal heart and oh man it was uh it was a a, to use a colloquialism it was a gigantic pain in the well, ass and,
1: and the, <laughs> the problem with that is it unlocks the core and the core yeah. is hard really hard like mm-hmm. you know it's it Cruel. it's not messing around and but what because when i completed the game i was like oh so there's a there's another section here so the core okay i didn't I hadn't realized I must have got this wrong i find maybe i haven't completed the game so you jump into the core and the first thing you do you you have, interact with a little bit of the stories. Uh, the old lady and you're like okay Fine, I've come back to this mountain. And the first screen you you come to, it's like, yep, you haven't got collected free gems, so you can't access the core. And I was like, yeah. huh? Oh, what? Like, Okay, so what What are <laughs> yeah. these gems? And then, then you go down on that kind of discovery moment of like, okay, so there's, there's multiple stuff in, in this game I've not seen. And they've just put down the gauntlet of me wanting to see what the hell the core is. Um, only to find out that the core is just this sadistic, brutal <laughs> environment that was yeah. all but impossible to get yeah. through. Um, but you know, I tr- I tried with
0: the core, but I just <laughs> at a certain point I had to admit this is not the reason why I enjoy this game. No. So I needed to put it down. <laughs> um, I do want to touch because we we've kind of talked about um, the the core and and kind of. Uh, reference the b-side um uh a little bit as well uh, i just want to mention that the cassettes that are dotted throughout the the main campaign which is how you unlock the b-side levels um, and the one note i wanted to to touch on with these is i love that these sections where you find the concept the cassette the cassettes have these kind of cool rhythmically disappearing platforms that remind me of uh some levels from um, mario 3d world and and uh, uh, basically uh, quite a few mario titles actually um and i and i love that as a a mechanic like that idea of like uh okay for a little bit this is a rhythm game (laughs)
2: um how do you feel um, about that system (laughs) how do you feel about those rhythm blocks rich um, okay. uh, yeah
3: I mean I'm pleased that you like them Josh I was ready <laughs> to bounce my controller off the floor over the last two days trying to sort that out I, <laughs> the like it's very seldom that I'll, I'll, I'll sort of put a cry for help out there but yesterday I was like look I, I need to have a chat with Brian just to make sure this is achievable <laughs> with one of those
0: B-sides right so um, we've touched on this already but I, I do want to camp out on it a little bit because um, it was so important um, to the conversation around this game um, so Celeste has an assist mode um and basically there are a couple there are four options um one of them is game speed so you can adjust the uh how quickly everything on screen is going um there's a infinite stamina option that you can turn on and off basically when you're crawling um against the walls um you don't suddenly run out of energy and fall off Um, there are a few options for air dashing. So you can have it so that you have two air dashes right from the beginning of the game rather than waiting until the later stages, or you can unlock an infinite dash so you can dash whenever you want. And then lastly, there's an invincibility um, uh, ability that you can turn on that's essentially a god mode. Um, Now, the reason... um, So all of these are kind of like... um, they 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 would be like a cheat mode in in uh, you know an earlier kind of um, maybe like PS2 kind of early PC kind of title. But the reason why um, this assist mode was praised was first and foremost, right? Great, you're you're kind of adding this accessibility uh, options for for people that um, either um, just find the game way too difficult or. Uh, In the case of people with disabilities, like just cannot engage with the 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 level that this game is operating at um, in the default the default way, and that's great. Like making this game more accessible to more people is is fantastic. But also the way it was framed, like the way it was framed was um, instead of it being like an easy mode, a beginner's mode, or something like that, here are just a few things that you can turn on and off it is not the intended way to play this game we suggest that if you try the kind of default way but if you if it proves to be too much here they are and i think that framing is really important of like taking away some of the stigma while simultaneously reinforcing what the author's intent was with this title. Um, and I felt like it was a really elegant solution to the difficulty conversation that's been going on for ages. And my engagement with it, because previous to the The conversations around accessibility and 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 easy modes back in like 2013 if you asked me about like adding an easy mode into dark souls i would have firmly been in the position of no that takes away from the experience of dark souls how dare you even suggest that um but has as time has gone on that position i've that position has been eroded um and i think celeste like celeste was kind of like the the final nail in the coffin because i never turned assist mode on and it was always there and i could have always turned it on when i was struggling but i never turned it on and it proved to me that no matter what options are available i am just going to engage with the game in the way that i find most enjoyable so who am i to sit here and go other people should enjoy it the way that i enjoyed the game um and yeah like the fact that you know infinite infinite dashes were there for the taking i could have just like at the end of this game i could have just switched that on and i never felt the temptation i think like it it proved to me that that argument of like the intended experience is the the only experience is a little bit self involved and and self indulgent and and I think pe- this kind of re- showed people a path forward that wasn't just easy mode beginner mode that kind of thing it
1: is funny because in this game in particular which deals yeah. with you know facing up to the struggles of your life and maybe not just taking the easy way out but it has the ability to take the easy way out and it I'm I'm not here to say that you know people should or shouldn't use it but I found the fact that I didn't use it through the main part of the game really empowering to me because it was about that climbing of that mountain, you know, metaphorically, physically. It was about, you know, I think I would have had a lesser journey if I didn't put myself through some of the the turmoil of actually getting up the side of that mountain. In fact, it's funny how the, the higher you get on that mountain, it feels easier and easier to get to that summit, almost like a, a reward. You get those little banners that go off. It's like, Yes! And having played around with the assist mode, doing some of the the more extreme stuff to kind of experience that extreme stuff, I I think that reinforces my, like, I'm glad I didn't use it through the main game because having infinite dashes ultimately completely changes how that game plays. Um, and having infinite stamina that can as well. I
0: think the important thing, though, and this is the part of the accessibility mm-hmm. conversation which um, ultimately, like, can you know converted me fully to know this stuff should be in the game is that um for us as uh you know people who don't suffer from any kind of disability this level of difficulty is just right it's at the right level that we want it to be at somebody with um let, let's you know let's say like a motor neuro um, condition um what is difficult for us is impossible, like just Quite. inconquerable yeah. to them. And just the 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 ability to go, okay, it's at 50% speed, mm-hmm. that then brings it to the level of difficulty that we're experiencing and kind of thinking of it more in that terms of like, Difficulty isn't universal. Absolutely. Like, in, in,
1: yeah. And I don't want to yeah. put out there like I, you will have a lesser experience. For me, it was important that I didn't inter- interact with that. But I can... And, I, and I'll and put this in another context. I've been playing um, uh, Phoenix Rising, uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising, and I've been playing that on hard and loving the combat and all that kind of stuff. My daughter has been playing in literally story mode and to see her kind of defeat bosses and stuff in like two hits. But the amount of joy that she's getting from playing through that game because she feels like she is as good as her dad being able to get through those bosses. In fact, she's taking uh-huh. the mick out of me because she, I'm like, that boss took me 20 minutes and you killed it in two hits and she's like, I am that good. And, <laughs> and you know, if it was just that boss boss would take her 15 minutes, she would never ever got very far in that game. As it is, she completed the game because she had the accessibility and those modes were there to do it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, I I guess I'm after one thing, but like like you say, I think the fact that it just puts it and there's no stigma on it and it's like, use it, it's there. If you absolutely get stuck on one level and you can't get through, don't miss out on the entirety of the rest of this game because there could be something here you enjoy. Just go easy on yourself. And, you know, that plays into... You know the narrative very much like you know you don't have to beat yourself up over and over again if you can sometimes just take a slightly easier route through this rather than having to do the hard route mm, yeah. all the time.
3: If if I may, I sense both Brian and I are probably going to run here to to the same point because I know that both he and I picked this up in, in 2020. So in 2020, I played Sekiro, a game that is kind of famously uncompromising in its uh, relationship with difficulty. And and the w- while I did complete it, and I'm fortunate enough to be able. um to do that, um, it was to the detriment of that game. I will never return to that game because I found it to be cruel and mm-hmm. it took away from the experience and, and there was no achievement. And I think it really highlighted the, the difference between those who can and those who cannot in a way that is, um, I don't want to overuse the word cruel, but maybe insensitive. And mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm I'm not going to lie to you, like, I didn't even know that these... Um, like accessibility options existed in Celeste, but God, I'm pleased that they do because it is such a, a beautiful story and such an elegant game that I think it's to its um strength that it can appeal and and support people who perhaps don't share my um my abilities.
2: Yeah, I yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I also want to say that. Um, I did all the I did all the B sides with no assists or anything and I remember I finished that night I, I sent it on the slack I, I finished the core B side I think it was like 1300 deaths or something on the core B that it was just a crazy amount of deaths and I got done and I looked at my trophies on Celeste and it was there was only one trophy left I had 49 or whatever it was and it was complete all the C sides so I just watched a YouTube video real quick of somebody doing the first C side and I literally, like, I could feel the wind leaving my sails, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, so, and so what I did, I just, you know what I did? Because I, I put 34 hours, whatever my game clock was at, and I was sitting there, it was like 1 in the morning, I had to work the next day, and I was like, oh, I guess I'll try tackling some of these seasides tomorrow. I'm like, you know what? I just went in the assist mode, click, 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 and I just <laughs> I went and saw the story, my platinum trophy popped, I felt wonderful about doing that. Since then, I've actually made it through the first seaside on my own, but it was nice to because because there is little bits of dialogue and story at the end of those seasides like there's a nice chat with the old woman at the end of the summit seaside that were, you just like she says wow you really made it you've done all the thing like and even though i hadn't i had turned on assist mode to do it it there was parts of that game i would not have seen otherwise a game that i adore a game that i want to and and just the fact that this exists like rich said for the, so that anybody who wants to can can see everything in this game it's just i just i can't support stuff like this enough
0: Just to take us out on on that topic, Uh, Toon Skatoon says, um, I'd never played a true indie game before the spring of 2018, but then, after lingering for months in Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey, immediately after my wife gave me a Switch in the winter of 2017 and Right when I discovered the Kane and Rince podcast in the now infamous Vice article, why is it infamous? I don't, <laughs> Maybe we got a lot of people I, I, from
1: Vice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um,
0: I uh, I played in quick succession Shovel Knight, Celeste, and Hollow wow. Knight, uh, sure to be discussed in issue 495 Ori and the Willow of the Wisps, plugging a future issue. Um And uh, Celeste was neither the most eye-opening of these games for me, nor was it the most fun, but it was the most rewarding to conquer, at least in the meagre way that I conquered it, which is to say I died over 2,000 times while summiting Celeste Mountain on the default difficulty setting. Grabbed only a few strawberries, fewer B-sides, and enough blue hearts to enter and then work through the heart of the mountain. That said, this was all rewarding because the game was, to my mind and fingers, so damn hard. I know that because of all the assist modes and adjustable difficulty settings, the creators were willing to let me come to the game on my terms, but the blink and your backstanding restarts, the very generous checkpointing, the simultaneously soothing, atmospheric, inspiring soundtrack, the dynamic use of HD rumble, all matched with the bouncy fluid pixel art made that challenge addictive instead of antagonistic right let's uh, move into the level design and some of our own favorite kind of levels and their themes and um, so these levels are quite open and branching obviously there's a final objective that you have to hit but they're not the kind of straight line to the finish line that um, you may be experiencing stuff like Super Meat Boy or or some Mario levels Um, and also each chapter of the game uh, focuses in on a particular set of mechanics or level interaction Uh, and it reminded me a lot of the kind of escalation and then throwing away of systems that mario games often uh, engage in in that the early part of the chapter tutorializes kind of a new feature Um, the game uh, the chapter builds on that feature and kind of ramps up the difficulty Um, and then at the very end there are a few twists that kind of Uh, throw a few wrenches in the work to kind of catch you off guard before it discards it and and moves on to the next idea in the next chapter. Um, So in the game, uh, in the main game, there are roughly nine chapters. Not all of them are fully interactive, but there are nine chapters total in the main game. But there are 11 chapters in the game total when you include the core and also the DLC Farewell um we don't have time to talk about every single chapter and dissect every single one element of the game in detail um there i'm sure there are podcasts that provide that service um but uh i want to instead kind of focus in on personal favorites or personal lowlights um that um, really stood out to all of us um Tony, do you have a favorite kind of level concept
1: and idea that kind of sticks out to you? My favorite was the result. And the concept of that is, if I remember rightly, it's it's the sludge on the the different walkways and and areas you jump to. And it means you've only got a very limited amount of time to work out your next move before that platform then becomes inaccessible to be stood on. Um, I found that Enjoyable is a weird term, but I found that fun um, to, to kind of have to constantly be on the move, think on your feet, um, and jump from A to B. Uh, the ones I didn't like, and I don't know which one it's actually in, is where you have the wind against you, um, and you're, the having, golden ridge. you're having to... Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, the the golden rush where you're having to dash into the wind and it's actively working against your perfectly timed dashes and the depth cover and on that is extremely high.
0: Yeah, I I like I I will just jump in and say that I think uh, a lot of people uh, are not fans of the wind <laughs> mechanic in this game. I think it's it's because it's like it, it's the one system the that is just. Yeah. Uh, it's just blocking you, like it's just like somebody putting a hand a hand in your face and going no. <laughs> Whereas all of the other systems are kind of opportunities and uh, ways of kind of navigating the environment in I different like it, ways. Because I, <laughs> it looks really yeah, good, yeah, right? it looks great, yeah. But it's just frustrating.
3: I actually am a fan of those levels. And I find it's because okay. um, if memory serves, it's because the, the levels are actually more open. Because there is instances where the wind is in your favor or it. carrying yeah. you and making that jump. And because of that, your kind of t- uh, typical arc is sort of either negated or mitigated rather and um, enhanced. And the levels feel really free and, and open. And that's something that um, that I really appreciate. The level that I definitely didn't enjoy was the Mirror Temple. And I think it's because signposting in that level is a little Mm. bit weak, or certainly weaker than the rest of the levels, and it's very claustrophobic. Um, That's not a, in in an already stress-inducing game, that's not a sensation that I want to experience or (laughs) particularly enjoy.
2: I think that's why the Mirror Temple is my favorite level in the game, honestly. (laughs) Um, The thing, the, the reason I actually do like the Mirror Temple the most is that I liked how it it really it, by calling itself the Mirror Temple, it already sets your video game mind kind of expecting certain things, and I think it pulls it off. Like like I wasn't expecting a kind of like this like you know, hardcore platforming game to kind of in- introduce like a like a like key based environment where I had to open certain doors and unlock pathways. It felt more much of like a puzzle solving rather than just uh, get from A to B. So I think that's why I liked it the most. Um, the ones I didn't like. um I guess, was a reflection. The the golden feathers, I found the, that yeah. difficult to control with the stick. I, I was always cutting torners either too tight or too wide and running into the spikes and then um, dashing against those platforms to make them come back at you. I just that never felt quite right to me. But again, that's it's. That's kind of nitpicky because I, because I, I, all, all in all, I do like most of these levels. Um, so uh, to
0: continue the trend of somebody <laughs> immediately jumping in and going, I like that level actually, <laughs> um, reflection actually stands out as one of my favorite levels. Um, I really like the feather mechanic. Um, it, it's also an example of the game tying in a thematic thing um, with the gameplay. Fio kind of talks through like the, the calming exercise of the feather and the fact that that feather then becomes the kind of thing that propels you forward i just think is a clever clever piece of integrating narrative and gameplay design together and i also find the angry platforms really charming <laughs> uh, I, I just I, I love the idea of uh platforms that you have to motivate to to come after you i i, I like i have that. to say that's wonderful
1: uh, that we all went, like different levels and all <laughs> hate the ones yeah, that other people like just it just got I me mean, i never got on with the feathers like just hair i just you've
0: just got a master you've just got a master switching from the d-pad yeah. to the analog you just stick got to master there really we quickly. go yeah that that
3: phrase
0: yeah but um um the the main reason why i like reflection is the way it ends um with the confrontation with uh with badlin yeah. um That's i great. think the the boss fight with uh badlin is uh like I talk, I've talked in the past on Kenyarints a lot that my my favorite moments in in games are often when like the aesthetics, the music, and the gameplay all come together and synergize in a way that kind of raises the hair the hairs on the back of your neck. Um, and I was just in completely uh, mesmerized by that sequence, even though it was difficult. Like it felt like. I don't want to say emotional is the wrong word, right? Cause I wasn't like tearing up in that moment or anything like that, but it was like, it had a grip on my brain Timmy. and yeah. the music was just like yeah, propelling me forward. Isn't
3: there? I think like yeah. the, the gameplay gets slightly more aggressive as you go along and, and it, it just builds and builds and, and you're captivated by everything that's going on. It, I it, completely agree.
1: It's funny that none of us is at the summit. Cause really that's the one where you should have all these elements that come together and it's this just- Big final journey to get in there, but actually, it, that it's quite difficult, and it's it, sometimes I got lost on there. And it was like, like towards the top of the summit, I was yes, we're
3: doing this. But um, it's, it's I, a wonderful level. It's so liberating. Like I would happily play nothing but the summit. I like it if you know, in an evening, just just open the summit up and do that. And I think it's where you've got that second jump. You you really liberated by all of the the kind of um, the teamwork powers yeah. and ability coming together, mm-hmm. and and you know, it's just great, fiendishly difficult but um wonderful nonetheless
0: i I do want to briefly mention the star blocks from the 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 old site um I think mechanically they're actually quite simple because they're ba- basically just a, a an object in the environment that propels you forward. I just really like the aesthetic, I like the sound design, yeah, the sound uh, is great like that wobbly yeah.
2: squish of you like sucking through those star blocks is really that's
1: oh, really satisfying. Yeah.
0: Right, uh, this post from uh, Mr. Exolite. um, I got through the story with relatively little trouble. That is to say, countless deaths, and I was ready to call it quits when I started the post game. It's okay, you've proven yourself, I thought. But then, as my head started bobbing to the groovy tunes of the third B-side remix, a switch was somehow flipped in me. Why not see how far I could go? as long as it was fun. And so, I kept pushing and pushing, past all the strawberries, all the B-sides, all the way to the grueling farewell chapter where I finally hit a wall and it started to feel not fun. I ended up never using the assist at all, but I still credit the psychological boon from having a safety net with a lot of my completion of the game. Weirdly, sometimes the knowledge that you have something to fall back on, that you don't have to push yourself to the extreme, is what gives you the strength to push ahead and do just that. The important thing is that you set your challenge at a level you are comfortable with, that you are in control. Ultimately, Celeste taps into the core reason I play games – Living in a turbulent world with two kids and a career in science where planning and results are, are in constant flux, video games are a reliable source of accomplishments, a way for me to overcome a defined challenge and achieve definite progress in a reasonable amount of time as someone who has both climbed a mountain and played countless hours of video games the simple feeling that you accomplish something can be incredibly rewarding and celeste not only taps into that due to the brilliant level design but weaves this truism into the very themes and story of the game i thought that was a great post yeah, well thank said. you for that yep so we we need to talk about the aesthetics of the game um so first of all the the visuals um the game uh, adopts like a pixel art uh, approach um obviously this is very much like a modern uh, pixel art um approach it's doing things of color and effects work that was impossible um in the 16 bit era Um, but i i think this is like a brilliant um and and rich you touched on this previously but i think this is a brilliant example of minimalism and then kind of using kind of more hdr assets to to bring out the emotion when needed if the pixel art isn't enough
3: yeah, not to lose sight as well of the the lighting engine, which is is it, it like impossibly beautiful when put next to some of the the art design that's there. You know, I was having a, a play of some of the B sides today, and when you collect the strawberry at the end of that, and you get this like wonderful illumination and swirling around of different lights and such, it, it's just great. It's just a really satisfying feeling.
2: I think the, the what it does with environments is really interesting. Um, they the the color palette in each level is is so it's it's just so i don't know if appropriate is the right word um it it's just so it, so well designed it conveys just a level of lived in and real world feel to these areas that are clearly just blown out platforming sections, you know like like i mean these like the old city, for example, which is the first main main level you go through like i mean this is like a deconstructed skyscraper with spikes and moving platforms like obviously this is not a place that exists, but it has. It has the color of a city it has the machinations of say, the sounds of a city like it, it it they it all comes together to create believable spaces in a wholly unbelievable world so like i i the way they the way they manage that through the use of color and then and, and the art it all just kind of it just blends together in such a nice way to where it just seems to all fit right i don't know that was really a general <laughs> description but it just it feels good it feel it it's nice to look at even even the areas that are supposed to be bad to look at are still nice to look at
0: and finally the the audio um we we kind of already talked about the sound design um throughout our kind of gameplay discussion but uh i think the soundtrack is incredible mm-hmm. um it's it's amongst one of my it's one of my favourite um, indie game soundtracks in the, in, in the last uh, few years. Um, I think that like it's a combination of kind of retro style sixteen bit music, while also kind of inserting more contemporary instruments and and music in there. Um, later on, I, I I already referred to the confrontation between. Um, Madeline and Badeline but um uh, Lena Rain um actually recorded some vocal tracks of herself um uh, during that that particular confrontation that uh, um that plays throughout um I, I think it's an incredible piece of work does anyone have any particular thoughts
1: it's both emotive um energizing uh, you know once again like a good film you, it, I can't imagine this game Without the soundtrack playing in the background, it never really outstays its welcome, even in those moments of frustration. Um, you know, you you don't find yourself in that kind of constant terrible loop of some games where it repeats and you're like, oh god, I hate this track. Um, you know, it's it's a really well balanced, and it sounds a lot bigger and grander than um, than you ex- expect it to be in a game like this. Um, yeah, you know, I, I nothing but positive
3: a particular highlight for me is the the kind of musical motif that plays when you complete a level because it's kind of just elegant and understated and relieving in many ways it's just a sort of little sort of twinkle of a a piano and then you're off but it's it's such a kind of odds with for the most part like the 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 sort of lattice sort of stages of the level where they've really flexed some of the mechanics and and stretched you and stretched your uh, abilities as, as you go through just that that piece of music is something that that'll stay with me for a really long time
2: yeah I feel the same way um about the the main I guess kind of the main theme it kind of goes throughout a lot of the different um but the main uh, uh melody theme that plays it in that first uh main level track like that that kind of trill synth just like beautifully positive uh melody it that just it has a permanent resonance in my head like it's either it's either that or the moon theme from ducktales like just playing in the back of my head (laughs) like at like at all times you know there's one of those and that's just one of those melodies that just it just it it just plays on a loop because it's just so it's it's elegant and it just fits the gameplay and and we've talked about this uh, you know at nauseum at this point but it's just it really is a stellar soundtrack, and um, I have a I have it on my downloaded on my phone pretty much nonstop because you know about once every couple of weeks I'll find a reason to listen to one of those tracks when you
3: need to pick me up. Yeah. That 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 track in particular makes a reprise in in the the summit, but yeah. like an altogether like slightly different kind of
0: energy, and
2: mm-hmm.
3: um,
0: yeah, it's just just empowering. It's it's a really good track. Yeah. Okay, it's about time that we heard more from our community, so just to take us out, um, some thoughts from the forum. Start us off, Brian. All right, this
2: comes from Psycho Hype on the forum. I don't love it. I don't hate it. Above all else, a tough-as-nails platformer lives and dies by the tightness and fluidity of its controls. And for my money, 2010 Super Meat Boy is still the gold standard. For whatever reason, the controls in Celeste never cease to give me grief. Specifically, the dashing controls. I think it's because the dashes can only move in eight set directions. It felt like so many times when I wanted to go up and to the right, I would instead go straight into the right and miss my target. Constant trajectory mistakes. Despite finishing the game and snagging quite a few strawberries along the way, I never felt like I quite got the hang of it.
0: Switch to the D pad, I think.
2: Yeah. That might help you <laughs> out with that.
0: Yeah. Uh, Steve Aran says Despite its critical acclaim, I sadly have to admit that I fell off Celeste on a first playthrough, though after a recent completion of an equally difficult platformer Metroidvania, I will definitely re-engage after this podcast. However, despite my furtive dalliance, I did take away two incredible things from my time with Madeline and her quest to conquer the mountain. First, the breathing feather trick really does work for me when dealing with attacks of anxiety. And any game which treats mental health management in a sympathetic and non-sensational theatrical manner deserves all the praise it deserves. And second, oh man, that soundtrack. It's one of only a handful of purchases I've made to listen outside of playing the game. And if you pop this on your iPod whilst going on a run, you too can conquer mountains.
3: Alex79UK writes, This game was tough in places, but nowhere near Super Meat Boy levels of difficulty. I managed to beat the game without assists. I didn't collect every collectible, but I got pretty close. This game was brilliant, perfect platforming controls, aesthetically pleasing, and had a great soundtrack. The game took a very short amount of time to click, but once it did, I loved it all the way to the end. I found the story relatively interesting, but ultimately not really explored enough to have any real impact. Overall, brilliant game.
1: The j Boot. Celeste is one of those games I never thought I'd enjoy due to its tough-as-nails platforming. Finally gave it a go in 2019 after seeing all those rave reviews and rediscovering my love of 2D platformers with the excellent Rayman Legends. I can now safely say Celeste is one of my all-time favourite games. Finishing another brilliantly crafted screen after countless tries is immensely satisfying and the tight controls, smooth movement and instantaneous respawns make it an absolute joy to play. It even led me to try out a game that I'd always imagined I'd enjoy even less than the inevitable Super Meat Boy, and I loved it. The one downside to Celeste is that I'd never be able to go back to enjoying 2D Mario games, which I feel clunky and sluggish in comparison.
2: Ventus uh, says, to me, this game is a more nuanced and meaningful braid. Where Braid uses clever gameplay mechanics to tell a story which some may deem a little problematic and quite shallow, Celeste uses quite simple, but brilliant, gameplay to tell a story which is touching, relevant, and ultimately heartening. When I see it go on sale, I immediately pester my friends to go buy it. It's that great.
0: Gadget 8-Bit says, Never has a game simultaneously made me so angry, yet impressed me so much. (laughs) I'm confident that Celeste might be one of those rare, perfect games. The platforming mechanics are tuned to perfection, the art style is to die for, and the soundtrack is simply stunning. Despite its unforgiving difficulty curve, I cannot think of a platformer I've ever enjoyed more. Thank you to everyone who uh, posted on the forum. If you want to contribute to future issues, you can go to com slash forum, and you will find the thread of upcoming um, issues, and uh, you can post your thoughts and feelings there. Uh, now it's time to hear from Twitter um, with your free word reviews. Toon Skatoon says, My poor pie. <laughs> Chris says, jump, jump, die.
3: James McCall says, couldn't reach summit. Hey, you can, James. Richard Murphy, suffering
0: for strawberries.
2: Bearfish Pie says, strawberry fails forever.
0: Nice. Scott Lamond
3: says, get strawberries? Nope. Alejandro says, frustratingly
1: fun time. Mark Hogland, over 2,500 deaths.
2: Real Dave Jackson says, try, try again.
0: Ashton Herman says, I love battling. Sura says,
3: adorable hair animation. Nick Burnham,
0: getting over it.
2: (laughs) Alex Gaillard says, remember to breathe.
0: Carla says, confronting myself repeatedly. Steve Moggerson says, go
3: find
2: yourself. Richard Burt, uplifting transcendent soundtrack. Alex79UK says tough, never unfair.
0: Jacinto Sien says smooth like butter. Mr. Ixalite says intense
1: stress reliever. Joseph Raphael
2: at platforming's peak. And last but not least, Martin says mature, poignant masterpiece.
0: All that's left then is to deliver our summaries on Celeste, um, uh, starting with Rich.
3: Yeah, I, I, I came into this recording and up until probably about 12 p.m. today, I was convinced that I was going to come in with a, a very negative <laughs> opinion about it. And I was, cards on the table, very nervous about that because what we're dealing with here is an intensely personal subject matter. And with the revelation um, of the development team that it's representative of the transition that they've made, um, it's something that I felt really um, cognizant of and nervous about dinging um without offending anybody who's making that same transition themselves but what I did throughout the day is I I took my dog out for a walk and I listened to some of the soundtrack and I just reflected upon on how I've played it and what I came to terms with was that I'd spent probably way too much of my time banging my head against the wall of some of the b-sides and the more complicated aspects of the the game that had really colored my opinion and so on returning from that walk I, I put Celeste on for a short amount of time and just played through the game normally and and what i realized is that the game is an absolutely wonderful culmination and consolidation of themes of music of gameplay and if you experience it all in in one fluid motion then it's just a wonderful wonderful experience i cannot recommend um so than enough I think if you have any trepidations about some of the, the difficulty then really don't be ashamed and, and please do leverage some of the accessibility options that are there and um, I think it's a a, a wonderful game and, and uh, a modern day masterpiece
1: Tony? Can I just say what Rich said? <laughs> 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 um, and much to echo uh, Rich's statement really, um, I, I think you can get caught up on the perfecting of some of the elements of Celeste, and I think you know, you can let that taint, you know, an otherwise um, great experience. Because actually, I, I I really do think that although it is a challenge, Celeste is a challenge. It's not an easy game. I do think it's um, the summit is um, achievable for majority of people that have been playing games for a number of years. And if if it's not, I would then say, look, you know, there is accessibility options for you to. To make that journey, and I think it is an important journey to make because at the right the start of this podcast, I I I commented that you know, oh this can feel like a game of two halves. Like the, the story is fantastic, but also the game is is absolutely fantastic. But the challenge I think for for any developer is to take both those elements and marry them into one, and that can be really hard to do. And I think Celeste does it. Just seems to be a canter. It it just it. It marries the, the story elements into the game and marries the gameplay elements into the story at such a an effortless rate that you wonder how, how the small team came about and put this stuff together when these, you know, multi million triple A developers struggle so much to achieve um with so much and achieve so little. Um I I adored my time with Celeste. Whether it's the best platformer out there, I you know, it, it's down to personal taste. I think the fact that we've mentioned Things like Super Meat Boy and Mario, and some people have said it's the best platformer they've ever played, I think tells you that it's one hell of a good platformer. Um, And, you know, the story, you know, I I took my own elements out of the story, and it was a very personal thing to me. Um, Whether you, the listener, take those elements is down to, I guess, to your life experiences, but at least it might give you some context of what other people might be going through and, you know, and help you understand them at the same time. Um I, I adore Celeste. I think it is an absolutely fantastic game that if you do find yourself with a, a copy that is you know often on sale that it's well worth experiencing even if you rely on some of those elements to to help you through the game and, and see it to its end. So big thumbs up from me
0: So earlier in the recording Rich made reference to Sekiro and he described it as a, a cruel um and uh, this isn't his words but maybe odious odious experience or something like that but um uh, so Sekiro is a game that i i love and i i love a lot of from software's games and i i really enge- like something about the the kind of difficulty in their design philosophy um is something that i really really engage with and 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 really have a lot of time for but i absolutely despise the culture that has cropped up around those games the really kind of obnoxious and elitist kind of get good culture that just saturates saturates every kind of major from software release um and and takes away from what i think is just exceptional game design and what i what I love about Celeste is that it has all of that. It's challenging, it's difficult and it engages in some of the the kind of um the kind of level design tricks of all of those kind of you know those famously difficult titles like Super Meat Boy, for example. but it rejects that odious culture uh wholeheartedly and full throatedly. It says, you know, we can have this and we can enjoy and take pleasure in this immensely well-crafted design and difficulty curve and also not indulge um, that kind of elitist attitude and embrace other other people and open it up to to everyone. Um, And I think, like, going forward, this is kind of the approach and frankly the framing and the cultural perception that i want to see from difficult to difficult games going forward i love sekiro but it should have had an assist mode like the assist mode in in celeste and i and i will struggle to make excuses for from software going forward because of the way um these developers frame difficulty in their own title Brian, take us <laughs> out.
2: Well, I want to punt right now because I because everything's already been said. Um, the the one thing I say, uh, Celeste is, is a is an incredibly personal experience. Um, as we've talked about, we've read all the forum correspondence. We talked about uh, Maddie's experience in developing the game and what that meant to them as they they went through it. Uh, the thing I say is that if this game evokes an emotional response. It revokes it evokes a, a real reaction out of the player, and that to me, is the definition of a well-crafted piece of art, and that's what Celeste is. Celeste is just poetry in motion. I, I There's nothing I can say about this game that hasn't already been said without seeming just like I'm gushing. So, So what I'll say is that there's been two times in my life where this game has literally been there for me, one time being the first time I played it through and exploring themes with my own anxiety and depression, but then during the recent months of just upset and turmoil and pandemic and and just political unrest and just all of the things that I'm looking at my children that are sitting in the room with me and just like how am I going to raise kids in this world what am I going to do and 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 where did I go to seek answers for that I went I went to a pixel platformer you know what I mean like that's <laughs> that's what this game can do like it's not going to have it's going to be different for everybody and that's the great thing about it it's subjective to your own experience and the fact that you can draw your draw from your own personal experiences and have this game fit into your life narrative to have it mean something to you is just an example of how much thought, care, and love went into this product. And and I just I cannot ask for I I, I don't like to do my favorite game of all time or things like that because I think it's just so subjective and time of your life will change that reaction depending on where you're at. But like Celeste Celeste is an important game. It's it's important to a lot of people and the fact that they made something that had that type of impact is just so impressive that i even if you aren't a huge fan of platformers or the difficulty and all those things it's just this is a work of art to be respected and i am just so thankful that i've had the opportunity to play it a bunch and talk about it
0: fantastic right all that remains is for me, uh, Josh, to say thank you to Brian, Rich, and Tony for joining me on this recording, and a thank you to Editor Jay um, for for uh, cutting out quite a large <laughs> section of this uh, of this recording. So for the public feed, um, but it's important to remember that if you're a Patreon member, you get to hear all of this, you know. So consider it. Um, and uh, I, I also want to thank all of our correspondents. Um, we we saw a lot of correspondents for this title, and I was blown away um, by the amount of free word reviews that we got when we we, co- we made the call for it. So thank you very much. Um, so next time in Cana Rince, in issue 455, instead of being chased by our inner demons, we're being chased by an outer biologically engineered super demon with a flamethrower and a rocket launcher in the remake of Resident Evil 3